0: Okay, everybody, uh, welcome to the podcast. Uh, This week, we are going to do Martin Scorsese's 2013 film, The Wolf of Wall Street. Uh, It's hard to believe that this is four years old now. Welcome, Peter.
1: Welcome. Now, this movie, you can definitely (laughs) tell, is a Martin Scorsese movie.
0: In every possible way. It's almost like it's as if you made a computer program. You know, and it digested <laughs> all of his other movies, and he said, "Make a movie in this, in this, in the fashion of Martin Scorsese, you would end up with this."
1: I think this is the third of a trilogy. That's Goodfellas, Casino, and then this.
0: Well, and thematically they have a lot of similarities, and they're structured very, very much the same way.
1: Mm-hmm. I think there, you know? there really is a tremendous
0: amount in common. And they and they both sort of serve to educate the viewer about an entire world or subculture, and you kind of see it two ways. Like the first half is sort of a fun ride, and then the second half is a descent.
1: Right. Although very, I very, think casino, like casino, probably was the most document documentarian style out of the three. But they all have that definite that that aspect, and they're also about debauchery. And about and excess, pe- excess, and people who live in an outside the normal system, and you right. know, you, you get the uh, ability and, and infi- to live and vicariously, and, all, and
0: infidelity, them. and drug use, and crime.
1: Right. Although this movie is makes the other movies look like a romp in the park when it comes to drug use. I mean this this <laughs> movie. I mean, I I wanted you know like if some I would have done a quaalude at the end of this movie. Well, you know,
0: it. it's funny because you don't see movies that feature Quaaludes. You know, like it's very sort of dated, but it was interesting that that's the drug of choice in this movie is Quaaludes. Yeah. Um, before we jump in, do you want to do a, a brief, emphasis brief, uh, <laughs> summary of this three-hour Martin Scorsese film?
1: It's a three-hour movie about a it's guy
0: named – minutes.
1: Yep. Jesus. It was a guy named Jordan Belfort who's real this movie is based on his autobiography which is titled the wolf of wall street and he was a guy who came from humble beginnings in new york and ended up running a penny stock uh mostly a penny stock firm on long island that did a lot of uh sort of scams and ended up being closed down by the feds you know got in trouble and he made a lot of money um, at the time out of the firm although in the movie it seems sort of like the firm was a bigger deal than it was you know it was really a, a small suburban firm that was kind of a bit player but he did get rich and it was shut down and I think that it's fairly it at least holds to the the story to a reasonable extent and um it's a true story and and basically he's a drug addict he's a sex addict he's um incredibly amoral uh about his clients and about taking care of others and about exploiting anyone pretty i mean he can
0: amoral about everything
1: pretty much yeah and um and he in the end uh, ends up going to jail, coming out, and sort of becoming like a motivational or sales speaker at the end of the movie. And uh, he's introduced by the actual, by the way, the actual Jordan Belfort.
0: Right. Tell me insane. the spin, would you? Right. You know, it reminded me in some ways of Clockwork Orange in the sense that the main character... Jordan Belfort or Alexander DeLarge is a vile person but when you're along for the ride in that first half of the film both films it's a lot of fun even though they're doing terrible things and you're, I mean, like you're like the scenes of, you know Jonah Hill and DiCaprio and the, the events at the office you know they're hilarious. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I, I wasn't in a fraternity, but I remember thinking like, I bet being in a fraternity had a lot of similarities to this.
1: I think this is what any any fraternity would wish to be in its wildest dreams. And probably was a <laughs> bunch of dudes watching Star Trek and smoking pot. <laughs> Not instead if of they were f- watching
0: Star Trek, but depends on the um, fraternity. <laughs> um, but, you know, but again, like in, in Clockwork Orange, you know, And and Kubrick has explicitly said, too, that like the beginning of the movie, even though they're robbing and beating people, is supposed to be it's supposed to be a ride that you're along with. And then it all kind of comes crashing down. And you could see, too, like why this movie or Goodfellas or Casino, they all have a similar narrative structure. Because if the movie was three hours of debauchery that went nowhere, it's just pornography.
1: Hmm. It doesn't go that far, though. I mean, the thing about him, and and I guess also about Alex and Clockwork Orange, is that you don't really identify with them. I I don't know. I think Henry Hill...
0: I don't know. I mean, Alex... I mean, we're not here to talk about Clockwork Orange, but, I mean, Alex is sort of talking to you in this conspiratorial way. We're in this together, you know... And again, you know, they, they're they both narrated movies. I mean, DiCaprio narrates a lot of this.
1: Yeah, and he speaks, there's a lot of a uh, direct address,
0: you know, right to the to the viewer. But I think... Which is also very Scorsese. Mm-hmm. You know? Although... Like sort of you know, like Henry Hill, you know, freezing on Henry Hill as he slams the trunk of his car. All my life, I wanted to be a gangster, you know? Right. It's straight, straight from that.
1: It's maybe, you like, know, maybe I misspoke. You identify, you just don't like
0: them. You know, you—they're not. Do you mean Wolf of Wall Street or, any, or Alex and his drugs? Either one, really. I mean, I the, don't know. You identify. That's you why identify. It's, that's why it's but it's because you're living vicariously through that. Right. You wanna. You want to. You know, have lots of money and strippers running around your office, making a hundred thousand dollars a day on mm-hmm. trades. Like you want that crazy wild ride.
1: Right. And have crazy friends and everybody, and there's the camaraderie. Yes, you right, definitely identify insane, with them.
0: The insane Jonah Hill laughter, you know, like when they're on the plane flying to Switzerland. <laughs> <laughs> right. God, see, that was funny. But just your laugh, like your very laugh, shows you, like, it's hilarious. <laughs> it like, is. you want to be with these guys.
1: It's brutal and on hilarious. that
0: trip to Switzerland.
1: Yep. And you know what? You don't have to like him to identify exactly. with him. And you know what? If you liked him, it wouldn't be as much fun because the, <laughs> the the reason it's so delightful to live vicariously through it is because it's absolutely repellent and outside of the normal bounds of, of life, outside of what's right. acceptable and, and, and to any normal a person. not just a little
0: bit outside, very outside.
1: Right. I mean, the guy in, in one of the early scenes, he's blowing cocaine into a, a hooker's ass or maybe I don't know if it was I don't know which hole but he's some you know he's back you know I mean that's like one of the first scenes of the movie you yeah and,
0: and and again it, it's it's meant to sort of show like what he's capable of in terms of his degree of excess right you know and I'm telling you like it's very hard not to laugh and really have a good time with that part of the movie
1: I mean, they show you that scene, you know, with the coke and the hooker right away. I mean, I've only done that two or three times in my life and it, it, they get right to it. I mean, it's like scene two, you know, I mean, that was pretty, that was pretty amazing.
0: Um, and, you know, Boiler Room um, is also essentially based on Jordan Belfort's story. Right. I mean, like, if you read about Boiler Room, the Ben Affleck, Vin Diesel, um, uh, Giovanni Ribisi film. Yep. Uh, I mean, they explicitly say that this is based on Jordan Belfort, although it's, it's, it's done in an essentially or largely humorless way. Right. You know, and it's, it's done in a serious way that takes much more pains to convey the agony of the investor who gets ripped off. Right, whereas this this does that just a little bit, but you're even you know you're even laughing, you're even laughing at the investor. And for example, like the scene when they're still in the crummy offices on Long Island, and uh, and and Jordan sort of convinces that guy to buy the worthless stock i think it's called aerotine or something Mm -hmm. um it's like a little shack you know somewhere that's a great it's a great shot while (laughs) he's describing it he's, he's he's giving the finger to the to the phone and the office is laughing so like you know you're you know you're having fun with these guys
1: yeah Well, it's, it's right. It's amazing to see him operate. You're sort of in awe of his skill to convince somebody to throw a bunch of their money into this thing. And then they're telling you the whole time that this is like, you know, a garbage man, you know, he says, I'm selling garbage to garbage men, (laughs) but they're like, you know, they're a degenerate gambler. And then, you know, his first educational scene is, is that Great scene with Matthew McConaughey, who is like that is like one of the greatest caveos <laughs> in any movie. <laughs> like Matthew McConaughey's cavió as the uh, like sort the of
0: chest thumping,
1: right? the the, the drunk, a uh, drug addicted, tanned, um, you know, right. broker S- at, thousand at Rothschild suit, right? And who's. Who basically has a philosophy about everything, right? So that guy, he sort of teaches him the the philosophy, and you can see, um, you can see Jordan Belfort really like uh, just absolutely enraptured and just soaking it in, you know. And uh, it's like that form, this formative scene for him, kind of right. This because uh, it's right; that's his first day on Wall Street, literally. And um, you know, Matthew says, you know, and, and, it, and it's addicted. supposed to
0: be. Right. You know, and the, also the implication, too, is that he is, he is corrupted at the first possible moment.
1: Absolutely. He loves the, the, the excitement and the, the fraternity of the trading floor. And he loves Matthew McConaughey's character, who he hears made a million dollars a year. Uh, you know, he gives a hundred bucks to the waiter to bring him martinis. Right.
0: um, And keep coming. Just every nine minutes. Seven and and a half
1: minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, that was a great cameo. He was, I mean, McConaughey was great in that uh, It's funny because
0: I remember the first time I saw it, I thought he was going to be in the movie much more. Sure. But he's not. I know, know. He basically disappears after that
1: that's it he's in like one five minute scene in the movie and it's key and he does so much with that really that just tiny cameo i mean he does he does an incredible amount of uh he makes an incredibly memorable character that in that that
0: one little scene and you know some of the other players who have small parts are also very memorable and for example i thought that rob reiner he's uh, as fantastic. jordan's father yeah Right? And yeah. the way he's, you know, he's sort of not really putting the brakes on stuff too much, but he's sort of like, the way that they, they use him as a way to explain things, you know, like he can ask a question. And who I thought was very good, uh, I think I may be not saying this right, but, but Kristen uh, Milioti, who plays his first wife. Yeah. Who he basically dumps for um, Harley Quinn, essentially.
1: Yeah. They're, they're, I think... Uh, Really, all of the all the actors are are excellent even the the small parts you're right and Rob well, Reiner's and,
0: terrific right and Scorsese can pick anyone on earth
1: exactly
0: right he he can you know he I can, maybe maybe Woody Allen and Spielberg are in the same league like they can pretty much ask anyone to do any film and they will find a way to do it
1: i I heard that Uh, Jonah Hill, when he was interviewed, said he made scale for the movie just to be in this, just to work with Scorsese. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, I
0: love, by the way, I love Jonah Hill's uh, teeth.
1: (laughs) Fantastic! I know it was ingenious. (laughs) Jonah Hill is this is his best role. I mean, he does it's his greatest, uh, greatest role. I mean, he's and when
0: we were were talking about the movie the other day, you know, I kind of felt like even though it's DiCaprio's movie. Jonah Hill steals a lot of his scenes from it, and I kind of felt like the two of them playing off each other is really my favorite thing in the whole movie, you yeah. know, like the scenes are that where they where they meet or them on the plane or like you know doing crack in the back of the diner. I mean yeah. they're hilarious together
1: uh, they did are... you
0: see war dogs no. So that's Jonah Hill is in that uh, that one as well, and he plays kind of a variation on this character that he does here as an arms dealer, but very very sort of similar portrayal. So yeah, an like over the top guy doing a lot of shady deals that he knows are shady deals.
1: But you know he he's so he he's so strange in this. You know he creates this character. He's a little bit mysterious and a little he's he's a sort of a strange guy. You know, uh, he's not fully understandable.
0: Do you mean the Jonah Jonah Hill Yeah, Donnie
1: Azov. Yeah. Right. He's playing.
0: Well, but again, he's, you know, he's also, he's not supposed to be super smart or super complex. He's, you know, he's also very much along for the ride. Like he sees, he sees Jordan at the diner and, and literally, literally and figuratively hitches his wagon to him.
1: Exactly um oh and you know who's great too um was kyle chandler as the fbi agent that's also a small role and he he does a he does a good job with a small role too
0: although i'll tell you i think kyle chandler needs to be a little bit careful he's kind of playing the same part in all the movies he looks Like, like an
1: fbi agent
0: yeah, but I mean, like, if you look compare, for example, the character he played in this to the character he played in Zero Dark Thirty, it's basically the same character, and it's not even that different than the character he played in Super Eight. Hmm,
1: I didn't you know, see like, Super Eight. Yeah,
0: he's he, you know, he's the sort of like the straight laced guy, you know, this sort of like like called down a central casting for sort of like a. A good-looking blue-collar guy who got a good job, kind of thing.
1: And he rides the you know? subway with sweaty balls, right? <laughs> Which, by the way, the scene at the end of the movie when Jordan's going to jail, and they show him in the subway, <laughs> you kind of you see him kind of thinking about that,
0: right? Well, and again, and that's that's a good nod on Scorsese's part,
1: right? Very few filmmakers would would put that scene in. They would think, like, if I'm going to cut a movie, that's the kind of scene I'm going to cut. But not him. He keeps that in there because that one little 20-second scene. Because, you know, he puts a lot into his movies. You know, and so, like, Tarantino does that too, right? He packs things in. You know, so there are a lot of scenes. There are a lot of little f- fancy you know, uh, cinematic, cinematographic elements, and he's able to do that. He's able to to use slow motion and freeze frame and tracking, really big tracking shots, and and um, you know, strange lighting sometimes. And he's able to do those things and not have them seem gimmicky. Like they they take you in and take you along for the ride. And he's so skilled. I mean, granted, he if not pioneered, at least popularized a lot of those techniques, right?
0: Right, and, and, still and, and the audience, at I think, A, they expect it, and B, you know, he's probably one of the few people in Hollywood who has absolute rights to Final Cut. Right. Right, so, you know, like, you could imagine if you're Joe Schlabotnik and this is your third movie, the studio is not going to say you get a run time of three hours. Like, they're just not going to do that. Right. But, you know, because, you know, three hours is that many more show, that many fewer shows per day that they're going to be able to put into the theater, you know, and people are going to be turned off when they see a runtime of three hours. But they know that they can get away with it with Scorsese because the audience is going to be there for it. And they'll be patient with him because they we've sat through, you know, Goodfellas is like two and a half hours. Casino is like two and a half hours. um the aviator we did last week how long is raging bull raging bull is long also yep so you know i mean that's part of his part of his reputation part of his calling card these longer you know drawn out biographical films that that you know play out over many many years on screen
1: right and packed with packed with interesting visuals and i think that's the other way he kind of gets away with it
0: in some ways, I think the one of the big winners of this movie is Margot Robbie, um, who really hadn't done a ton yeah, before this. remember what else this. I've seen her in. She had been in some TV shows, and she was on that failed uh, Pan Am TV show with um, uh, Christina Ricci that, mm. uh, that got a lot of play and a lot of press and didn't – I don't even think it lasted a year. Uh, but she was on that – and really before that she done a little bit of TV and then this was her sort of breakthrough role as the blonde bombshell and you know now she's you know she's in everything now you Boy, know, like I said, you. I, mean, I called her I called her Harley Quinn earlier but I mean uh you know like the role she had in Suicide Squad I mean she was the one that they featured in all of the ads and she's you know now she's gone from small parts in TV shows to to big roles and big movies and I think mostly because of Wolf of Wall Street and it sort of reminds me of because everything has to be related to Star Trek um, (laughs) it sort of reminds me of Jerry Ryan as Seven and Nine right Right. what had she done before Seven and Nine she'd done some some TV show a little bit of stuff for the sci-fi channel and then she you know she just she just hypnotized you and all eyes were on her in every episode of Voyager once she appeared
1: Yeah, and boy, let me tell you, Margot Robbie. One, one, one—I mean, you can't really knock that she does a great uh, Brooklyn accent. yeah,
0: she's and she's good and she's funny. You thought I was going to say something else, didn't you? You know, I was kind of wondering where you were going, so I stopped talking. (laughs) (laughs) I think I'll let him get it out. (laughs) Uh, Um. uh, she really does, though. Seriously, she's got. Doesn't she have a cameo? in the big short is she one of the like the people that they just sort of like wheel in off from the sites yeah, off stage to lecture? explain some financial concept
1: I think yes I think that's also I never saw um
0: Suicide Squad did you see Suicide Squad
1: I didn't but you know I just looked it up while while we were talking and I want to go see it
0: Yeah I've never seen it um it kind of didn't get great reviews but they, everybody says she's the best thing in it and everybody thought that um the Joker was going to be the, the big scene steal, and it really it really turned out to be her. Mm-hmm. Um, the but but when you get to, so flip it over and you get to the second half, the second half of the movie is not so much fun, right? And mm-hmm. again, I think that's that's also by design.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But you know, like his descent is long and slow and painful. And you could argue maybe that they could have trimmed a little fat from the second half of this movie.
1: Yeah, they probably, if they were going to trim somewhere, they could have done that because it's really bumpy, like his way down. And it it plays out over a very long time. Like he's in,
0: They have to to rope in a lot of other characters. Yep. You know, then they have to sort of bring it back to some of the earlier scenes um with um how do you say said Jean de dujardin
1: um yeah, uh Jean jacques Sorel is the character right, right yeah, right. The, the Swiss banker
0: right that's exactly you know, Jean they've got dujardin, to all, yeah, they've got to sort of bring it back to all those people again, so that you know you you don't just meet them once you meet them on the way up and you meet them on the way down, which is again very much like Clockwork Orange, you know, and that he revisits all the gang members, he revisits the writer you know, who he paralyzed. And then again, it it gives the movie a feeling of sort of fullness and closure to the viewer by having him sort of encounter everybody twice. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. In in Boiler Room, Boiler Room ends with the raid, I believe, right? Boiler Room ends with the raid on the firm. I think so. Because Giovanni Ribisi he has that conversation in the hallway. I think it's with it's with Ben Affleck or Vin Diesel. I don't remember where he basically says like the Feds are coming now,
1: mm-hmm. and that
0: ends on a much more sort of serious dour note. Whereas this this ends with sort of a note that you know Jordan is who he is, and he, the way he could you know motivate the the brokers in the in his office is the same way that he can motivate people now. And you know he this is a guy who's going to find a way to make money no matter what.
1: Right, and he has a certain he has certain talents that got him where he was, and he's still using them. You know, like the guy has he has a certain talent and skill, and you know that's the thing. You know, he's 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 not a dummy, the guy. He's not. He's coarse, but he's not a dummy.
0: No, he's not a dummy at all. I mean, he's supposed to be incredibly bright. You know, from the way that he's basically been able to do this. From nothing to a level of incredible success,
1: right? And he sort of he really figures out the system, and he really he he did everything right. He was a good crook, (laughs) you know.
0: (laughs) He was a really good crook.
1: Yeah, he really figured it out. Like he really he gave he gave people what they want. You know, it's like when they they did that hack job interview in in uh, Forbes magazine when the the writer Uh comes. Uh, hatchet job I meant like the writer from Forbes comes he's very excited he shows them around and then Forbes does a hatchet job piece on him where they that's where he gets the Wolf of Wall Street uh, moniker the moniker and they they basically say that he's uh, you know he's peddling um, penny crappy penny stocks to people with no money and they they call him out and everything's true and then the next day the place has got like a hundred people trying to get a job you know Um, it's complete, you know, it, it absolutely makes him, you know, it makes, he's, it makes him more desirable, even though he, the, the article reveals him as dishonest. I mean, the place is just,
0: well, because, right. Because people see the goal and they're not so concerned with how they got there. They're seeing, Hey, here's a guy who's making money and we could do it with him.
1: Right. But I mean, that's that when he, that says something, you know, it, it's, part of why the movie is harsh and cynical and it's why the movie is really funny but mean. You know, it's... it's, Yeah,
0: and that's a a good way to put it. It's not mean-spirited, but it's funny and mean at the same time. And again, you know, you're on the side of the jokesters. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. You're not on the side of the people being ripped off or robbed of their retirement money. And again, and, and that's kind of more of what Boiler room does right, or to a lesser extent, or a more sort of schlocky schmaltzy extent, right? Um, Oliver Stone's Wall Street, right? Yeah. The way that they, the way that they sort of portray the workers at you know Blue Star Airlines.
1: That's a great comparison because to me, like that movie is awful compared to this movie because that movie moralizes, you know, it shows you Gordon Gecko as this. Philosophizing, you know, um, exponent of greed, and he has, you know, he it's he's got this abstract justification why greed is good, and all, and he's supposed to be and, evil and for Bud that Fox's reason.
0: Fox's journey is done in a much more sort of heavy-handed and pat way. It's terrible right? because
1: you watch this movie and you see greed, and then you find yourself. You know, enjoying it by living vicariously, and then you think to yourself, "I'm a creep too," and that's how this stuff happens, <laughs> right? I'm a creep for enjoying this. You know, like right. I'm in, like and they're throwing dwarves through these guys. Right, they're throwing dwarves onto a, a velcro, you know, dartboard Board,
0: target or whatever.
1: Right? And and they're they're he's blowing coke into a hooker's ass, and uh, you know, sh- boy,
0: that looks like fun. But Bud Fox's journey in Wall Street is not fun and it's done in a much more sort of like angst ridden, tortured way. You know, and they have his father as the mechanic at the airline that they're ripping <laughs> off or <the> bankrupting.
1: <laughs> I forgot about you know? that. God is that awful. Well, Good
0: you Lord. know, it's but but when you think about what a big hit yeah. um Wall Street was, but it's really it's a movie that doesn't hold up well at all.
1: No. I mean you see a movie like this at and- You know, if you're going to show greed and make it just funny and mean the way this thing is, I mean, it really, you're going to get more enlightened from this movie if you have, I mean, you got to have half a brain, right? Because you have to realize the position the movie puts you in. You have to have some degree of introspection, right? To to appreciate that. But if you even have, you know, four neurons that are flashing away, you're going to realize that. Right. Whereas Wall Street, it's really cramming it down your throat.
0: It'll be interesting to see how this movie plays in 10 or 15 years. I mean, Wall Street was the first movie, I think, that stoned did after Platoon. Um, And, you know, like he he uses a lot of the same actors from Platoon and Wall Street. And and Wall Street doesn't hold up well. And, for example, when they made Wall Street 2 with uh, Shia LaBeouf. Good Lord. Um, I mean, it was... It was beyond awful. You know what I mean? Like, I'll be curious how this holds up. I imagine this will certainly hold up better than Wall Street. But when people look back at Scorsese in 50 or 75 years, I don't know if they'll list this among his best films, even though I think this made more money than any of his other films did.
1: I think it will hold up because I think it's going to fit in. the. I think it's going to it's going to sit in that sort of trilogy. You know, I mean I, Goodfellas is the best out of the, out of those three. Um,
0: I think I think Goodfellas uh, is kind of the template. Like yeah. Goodfellas Goodfellas did so many things first and in such a in such an exciting way. Like mm-hmm. the way it was written, the way it was acted, the way it was shot. I mean, people have been dissecting and ripping off Goodfellas now for thirty years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's just there's so much to mine out there. I, I said, uh, I think it was last week that the Aviator is my favorite Scorsese movie. I don't know if it's Scorsese's best movie; it's my favorite. But like, I still think that people will put things like Goodfellas, Casino, and The Departed ahead of ahead of Wolf of Wall Street. I mean, there's there's a lot of meat on those bones compared to this film.
1: Mm. And you know, um, I I think. I don't think uh, even, you know, Taxi Driver and Raging Bull. I mean, they're great, but I, I my favorite is Goodfellas out of the, his movies. I think it's his, his best movie and the most sort of chock full of interesting new things for sure.
0: Yeah, Taxi Driver, is it's kind of like... Tough. You know I consider it, I consider it a part of my film school experience, right. Like, you know like I, I remember buying I remember buying it on VHS, never having seen it because I just kind of felt like I owed it to myself to see this film and understand it. I remember having very, very little idea of what it was about when I started it. Uh, mm-hmm. Although I actually really like Taxi Driver. Like, I can watch it. I've seen it maybe a dozen times. Whereas Raging Bull, to me, is not a fun movie. Like, I can, I've seen Raging Bull two or three times, and I, I think I'm pretty much done with it. Although <laughs> some people may be horrified to hear me say that, but I can watch Taxi Driver. By the way, do you know who the Taxi Driver is based off of? Just to make a circular argument here.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm not kidding. The Taxi Driver, Travis Bickle... Is based off of Oliver Stone. Hmm. Because when Stone came back from Vietnam, he was at NYU film school where Scorsese was, and he was this crazy ex-Vietnam vet, and he was driving a cab all night. and, And Scorsese at least partially got the idea for the movie from his interactions with Oliver Stone shortly after he returned from Vietnam. Yikes. I know. How crazy is that?
1: Hmm. And next thing you know, um, he's making crazy conspiracy movies. Yeah, <laughs> just like that. Anyway, um, I, I think ta- watching Taxi Driver—it's like not—it's—it's kind of like a nice light experience. It's like watching maybe like an Emma Thompson film.
0: Taxi Driver? Yeah, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs>
1: You're talking so, about it how was you. was funny
0: because I looked away. Like I kind of like looked away at the computer for a second. And right. I kind of I was sort of listening out of one ear, and I realized what you were saying. I was like, what? <laughs> I know, maybe that was a little
1: too dry. Um parched one um, might say.
0: I do love um the last half hour of taxi driver. I mean, like that I think you know, that's really in many ways that's Scorsese's calling card. Uh-huh. You know, like that's really what kind of put him on the map in a way that, for example, Mean Streets didn't.
1: Right. Are you talking um, to
0: me? I remember watching Mean Streets, I think when we were in junior high at the a mutual friends house. Um, and sort of not really appreciating how good it was at the time. And then I watched it a few years later and I re- kind of, was like, Oh wow, I didn't really get any of this. So I was too young, I guess the first time, um, to get back to Wolf of Wall Street. Um, one of my favorite scenes in the movie, um, is the scene where Jordan slips Donnie, the yellow note. Yes. Saying don't incriminate yourself I'm wearing a wire or words to that effect. Yes. And because it's, you know, it, it takes the movie out of itself and, you know, all the humor and all the levity is is gone from this section of the movie and they're in trouble and it's serious. And because you've seen them goof around so much and be such cut ups for hours, when you see they're really in hot water and the chips are down, it has a lot more impact.
1: Yep. That's a great scene. And, and the, the setup scene to that is where, you know, uh, Jordan's wearing, he's under house arrest with an ankle, with an anklet on, you know, and, and um, and he's basically in financial trouble and Donnie comes to his house and hugs him and tells him, we're going to take care of you financially. Like, don't worry about the liar fees and don't worry about, you know, and, and stands by him. And then the, the next scene, you know, he tells him, he slips them that. Well, it's not the next scene, but it's close after that. That solidifies well, their kind of relationship. Sushi. Right. And then he he tells him, like he warns him that like I, I had to rat out and just be careful. Like protect yourself. And then he you know, it's Donnie gives him a look. You know, Jonah Hill gives him a gives him a look that's his only kind of grave face in the entire movie. It's such a change for them.
0: And that's exactly what I was yeah, getting at. Exactly. And, and it hits you that much harder because it's such a 180 mm-hmm. change in tone and style and feel. Yep. You know, and then the then the impact really sets in and it really is sort of crumbling around them.
1: Right. That's the the best scene of the the end of the movie for sure. It really it really hammers
0: at home. And the movie can never recover from that point, like if they had had a funny wild scene after that, you wouldn't laugh, yeah, you know, like you like you can't there's no going back from that,
1: yeah, and i I think actually that's pretty close to the end of the movie. I think he he wraps it up sh- fairly shortly thereafter because then he they come and arrest him for uh violating the terms of his uh uh terms of his agreement and because they find out that he um that he slipped them a a note and then he then he goes to jail and he comes out right i think that's that his wife divorces him i think that's the that's it that's all that happens there's maybe five or ten minutes in the movie left at that point
0: but again because the story is over there you know and then and then it segues quickly to the coda scene where he's a motivational speaker you know showing he's still he hasn't lost all of his mojo despite all that he's been through. And they give him that sort of tacky ponytail at the end.
1: Oh, I didn't even notice that. That's funny. And
0: I'm pretty sure he's got the tacky ponytail <laughs> at the end.
1: <laughs> uh, I remember seeing an ad for Jordan Belfort like on the subway. Like he was touring around after, right after the movie was out. You know, his, his sure. star was on the, on the rise. And so he went around and did a tour, you know, another speaking tour and probably made a bunch of money.
0: You know, I've never gone to a motivational speaker, but they have them out here sometimes and you know, let me tell you, they draw big crowds. Hmm. And people and it's not cheap to go to those things. Who's the guy with the gigantic hands, Tony something? Tony Robbins, yeah. Tony Robbins. I saw the documentary about him on Netflix. I forget what it's called, but I mean It's very expensive. And the thing they were showing there was like these two or three day motivational experiences that, I mean, that's, man, there's a lot of money in motivational speakers if you can get up and energize a crowd of people.
1: Well, Tony Robbins has been doing it for like 35 years or something. The guy is... I mean, he, he's become an institution at this point. I mean, it's oh, yeah. amazing he's managed to stay relevant doing that for this long.
0: When, when you, I, I don't want to belabor the Tony Robbins documentary too long, but if you ever get a chance, it's worth a watch. Both for how sometimes he really, really gets it right. Like, he'll sort of, like, bring somebody up in the audience and sort of, like, essentially deconstruct them and put them back together in front of the audience. And sometimes he gets it wrong. And I thought that was almost more interesting, like... He's hardly perfect at it. And you can see sometimes he really, really mishandles the people in the audience. Um, But I would say that uh, I know we have our sort of best scene, best shot, best line uh, ritual that we try to do. Um, I would say that my best scene is that scene with Donnie and Jordan eating the sushi. When he hands him the note, uh-huh. I think that that's for me the best scene in the movie because it's in a weird sort of way. It's kind of the emotional payoff for the film.
1: Huh.
0: I guess, I, I guess the other Thai scene I would have is the scene where they're, where they're on the plane to Switzerland. Cause it's kind <sighs> of like, it's like the, it's the most extreme of extreme.
1: Well, don't, scenes for, for don't forget the, you know, the whole uh, Quaalude Lemon scene where he has to drive home and he's flopping yeah. around on the ground. I mean, that's a well, that's a that's also a that's one of the more memorable scenes in the movie. Right. I think it's it's not as maybe as great, but it's memorable.
0: Yeah. and, and it, Yeah. Although it's not as much fun. You no, know, it's being on, you know, like they're on a 747 there flying to Switzerland. You can see the staircase behind, you know, mm-hmm. around them. And the plane is clearly supposed to be a 747. I don't know, like that scene, and they're Grobe and the stewardesses, and he <laughs> wakes up and he's like basically in a straight jacket <laughs> with, with seat belts. He
1: doesn't remember anything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I uh, my, um, my My favorite scene was the Matthew McConaughey scene in the beginning. Uh, I think that scene is. <laughs> that scene is amazing. I mean, you, know, you
0: wonder, you wonder if that was originally written for the movie, or they added it in later.
1: I mean, it could be.
0: I just because it, it really it's separate, and it doesn't really have any other actors that appear in the rest of the movie in it.
1: Right, but it's it's his like formative scene, and I just I think it's it's incredibly well done, and it's it's crazy. It's like a preview of what he becomes laid out for him.
0: Yeah. No, I think that that's yeah. totally fair.
1: Yeah, and I, I think it's. Uh, I think that's a great scene. Um, there are a lot of great shots. I don't know.
0: There, there Well, and there, and again, this is Scorsese. Right. Like you know, th- this is an Outland. <laughs> yeah, there's a <laughs> right? great this shot. Is an every, outland, right? And I mean, every, every shot minute. is good. You yeah. know, and 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 you know, we didn't talk about this last week. A ton, but I meant to and I forgot. But you know, like when I was watching The Aviator, I was really impressed with the blocking and the way that the shots were laid out, that it was consistently easy on your eye to sort of follow the action in like a super efficient way. And one shot flowed into the next, into the next, into the next. And he does that here too. Now it's done in a different style and there's a lot more chaotic camera work and faster cuts, but it's still blocked in such a way that you're never ever working or struggling you know what i'm saying like yeah. like like a lot of modern movies i think people who came up in the sort of more modern uh, video way, game like, era a, video games and there's a lot of sort of like they, they they mistake you know fast camera movements for good camera movements those are two totally different things whereas like there's a smoothness to the way that this is filmed and the shots are set up and and executed that's you know this is Scorsese forty years down the road.
1: Uh-huh.
0: you know I mean, he knows what he's doing and, he, and he's and he's able to make a better movie with less effort. Uh-huh. you know that like he can do better with more efficiently and with less work than a, a younger inexperienced director could do with a lot more time.
1: yeah you, I, I have a my, my best line. It's not even that great. I just, it just, it's, it's really funny. Is the line where at, towards the end of the movie where they're meeting, where uh, Jordan's on the downslope, and they're and um, Jonah Hill comes to visit him, and he says to him, uh, "I'm never going to eat at Benihana again, even, <laughs> if, even if it's somebody's birthday," <laughs> because he gets busted. My- he gets busted because. Because uh, the guy, the guy who started Betty Hanna like got tr- you know got in trouble and ended up right. getting them all arrested uh, by you know a circuitous path.
0: There's a lot of good lines. You, you could, uh, I mean, you could pick a hundred lines, but one of my favorite exchanges is when Donnie says to him, "I think you have a drug problem." <laughs>
1: like, <laughs> I think you have a drug problem, bro, <laughs> on the plane. And then his next line is.
0: Where are the (laughs) lewds? I think that's when Jordan's like strapped into his seat. Yeah, he's strapped
1: in. He's like, where are the lewds? And then he says, oh, don't worry about it. They're up my ass.
0: And best shot? Um, Boy, there's a lot of good shots there. But, you know, it's funny because when you pitched this last week, the shot that first came to mind, I don't know if it's the best shot, but it's the one that came to mind, was when they're getting pulled off the sinking yacht in the storm. Hmm. I don't know if that's the best shot but it's the one that kind of like sticks out in my mind. You know, like as you see that enormous boat capsizing.
1: Right. I mean there's a lot. I, mean, I some of the tracking shots are are great. You know, some of the you know, that's the classic. The shots he does a lot of great shots on the trading floor of of Stratton Oakmont. Right. You know, where he really gets the feeling of that place. Uh, you really, why did they, participate? by the way, why'd
0: they shave that woman's head again? You know, I, I looked away from the TV for a minute and I came back and they were shaving this woman's head. Why you know, did they shave her head? Was it for money? They, they gave air? her,
1: yes, she gets, she takes $10,000 to have her head shaved. And that's another great scene because it's very uncomfortable to watch. And right after well, that, the strippers come in because she looks terrible at the end, and she's clearly right, just it's sort all of choppy. She's thinking, but she's thinking about the money, and that was a really. And then the hookers run in after that, and just
0: right the topless hookers. Yeah,
1: that that was a, that was also a great scene, and also. But you know,
0: it's funny. Like when a dude shaves his head, it's not the end of the world. But if you watch some YouTube videos of women getting their head shaved. Mm-hmm. They are beside themselves. There's a video on YouTube where some girl loses a bet. She looks like she's about 20, and and the fee for the whatever the the, the pay to the Piper for losing the bet is, they have to shave her head. And then the whole time you're watching, you're like, they're not going to do it. They're not going to do it. And then they really shave her head, and she is just she's just in shock. This girl, and again, not to bring it all back to Star Trek, but um, when they shaved Persis Cambada's head. For Star Trek, the motion picture, when she played Aylea, they filmed it. And, I mean, she's basically having a breakdown as they shave her head. So, but you know, I missed I miss the lead up to that scene. And it's funny, I saw it in the theater, but I'd forgotten that. So I came back in the room and that scene had already kind of played out. And she was sort of like, you know, grabbing chunks of hair on the floor. And I was like, what just happened there?
1: yeah and then he he says uh too that she's gonna use the ten thousand dollars for breast implants
0: <laughs> smart, which is um any so let me flip it over i mean we've been we're sort of you know rolling with this movie any any downsides, regrets, lost opportunities, things you didn't like about it?
1: I think you made a good observation the ends maybe a little slower and more choppy and it's harder to achieve what the movie achieves on the downside you know it's harder to achieve taking you on the ride on the downside and his his decline right so there are a few great scenes in that but I mean, I wonder. Maybe you're right. They could have. They could have taken out ten minutes or fifteen minutes. Know, or
0: even thirty minutes. You know, like yeah. it still would have been a long movie. At at you know two hundred, sorry, two and a half hours. It would have been a long movie. Yeah, and I felt like, and again, not 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 the greatest word to describe this movie, but the second half, it, like the gratuitousness of the way that they told this, kind of started to wear on me. Even the first time I saw it, more so the second time, but even the first time I saw it, I remember, like, as we passed the two-hour mark, looking at my watch and being like, this movie is nowhere close to done.
1: Yeah, I, it's funny. I kind of had the opposite reaction seeing this ag- again. I think maybe this is the third or the fourth time I've seen it. And I haven't seen it for maybe a year or two. I don't know. And, um, I mean, the movie's only about four, three or four years old. Yeah,
0: 2013.
1: And and December as well. It's it's not very old, and I I kind of liked it more this time. Seeing it this time, mm-hmm. I kind of liked it more. I think I felt like I could sort of see it from a little bit further away, maybe. Now you
0: know, I I felt like I liked it less this time, and yeah. I saw it. I saw it with a buddy in the theater, and it's one of his favorite movies. He talks about it constantly to this day, but. Like, this time was less fun for me. And maybe, maybe it was because I watched it alone. You know, the first time I saw it, I saw it in a the theater. People were laughing their heads off, including myself. But, you know, this time I just was sort of, you know, watching it on my my DVD player in my basement. And I do not know, like, I was a little more distance, And I will not lie to you, in preparation for this, I watched Boiler Room. Hmm. And Boiler Room kind of, I, I, I wouldn't watch Wall Street again, but I watched Boiler Room in preparation for this because I knew that they were, that they were based off some of the same source material, the same concepts, and you know, like watching this after Boiler Room is a, a different kind of experience. Mm-hmm. Boiler Room's not a bad movie. Who directed Boiler Room, by the way? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Uh, I'm gonna look it up real quick. But Boiler Room is not a bad. It it it, it it's you know it's it's done in a much smaller. Uh, Budget and it, it looks a lot cheaper, but it, it comes off—it comes off pretty well. It's directed by uh, Ben Younger, uh, who um, has not done a ton of stuff uh, that I have seen beyond Boiler Room. Um, any last thoughts? Anything else you want to cover on this one? I don't think so. I think we we covered a lot. Alright, I think uh I think I'm up to pick next week, right? Yep. Okay, so I think I'll announce it now. I think next week, unless we change our plans, uh I wanna do uh David Lynch's uh nineteen eighty four Dune.
1: That's like four and a half, five hours, isn't it?
0: Well the, the, the theatrical release is two, the T V there's a there's a there's a Alan Smithy director's cut uh that's close to four. But uh, I thought I was exaggerating. <laughs> no so we'll do that and then uh, we can maybe think a little bit about or compare and contrast a little bit with the, the sci-fi channel version from 2000 as well
1: I don't think I ever saw that one
0: uh, it's pretty good I think John Harrison I believe is the director but it's uh, it's about as different a take on Dune as you could possibly do and still use the same title of Dune but anyway we'll, we'll talk more next week
1: alright very good All see right. you next time
0: Thanks for staying up late over there, man.
1: Yep, no worries. (laughs) All right. All
0: right. See ya.